There you go. Morning. How are you guys today? Good. You guys excited? I'm a little. I'm a little excited. Um, it's my first time up here, so I'm just gonna ask you to bear with me. Okay. English is my second language, so um, if I say something there that doesn't sound right, just ask me after the sermon. All right. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm. I'm happy to be here. Um, I'm excited that Sergio asked me to be here, and um, I look forward to him coming back, right? <laughs> uh, let's, let's pray, and then we'll go into this. Uh, dear Jesus, thank you one more time that you went and died on Calvary, and, and that we can be here today, that your sacrifice was meaningful, that your sacrifice actually did something, and is continuing to do something for us. And today, as we open your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit may be here with us, that you may humble us, that you may humble our hearts, and that we may be able to just surrender to you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm going to be talking to you today about a book of the Bible that I really like, and we're just going to do a little part of it. It's, it's uh, the book of Philippians. So, if you have your Bible, go to the book of Philippians, and we're going to go to chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, if you don't have it, it's going to be up here, but actually, before, before we go there, I just want to acknowledge the fact that chapter 2 is really awesome, okay? Chapter 2 is like, it's it, you know? Um, Paul is writing to, to the church in Philippi, right? And, and, and the Philippians are a church like us who struggle, who go through trials, right, who, who are weak, and, and Paul writes to them, knowing that they're selfish. And this is, I wasn't planning on this, right? This this first part. I, I mean, I, I just kept thinking about it. I was just going to preach from verse 12 on. But I want to back up a little bit. I want you to see what Paul says before that. And in verse 3, Paul says, don't be selfish, right? Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be what? Humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. And, and I just want to pause there real quick, all right? Be treating others as if they were better than yourself. You guys ever do that? You guys ever treat someone else as if they're better than you? You have a boss that you don't really like, but, you know, you kind of have to treat them better because, right? Or, or a teacher or a parent, maybe. But Paul is saying it's not, it's not that they're better than you. It's just that you have to treat them as if they were better than you, right? You ever been to a wedding where everybody stood up for the bride but not for you? That's because you weren't the most important person in the room, right? So, so you give that respect, right? And, and can you imagine what it would look like in our lives if we treated others as if they were better than us? What would it look like here at church? What would it look like in, at potlucks, at, at, at Sabbath school, at our board meetings? <laughs> what would it look like at home with your wife, with your husband, with your kids, at school, and everything that you do, if you treated others as if they were better than you, what would that look like? He keeps on going, verse 4. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. 
And he, here's, here's a part that I really like. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You know, our, our church is struggling, and a lot of us read Ephesians 5, and all the men know this, right? Paul says, women, you must what? Submit yourselves to your husband, right? Even though that passage was not, passage was not for the husbands, you know, we read it, and, and we're like, oh, yeah, you must submit to me, right? But we forget to keep on going, because the next one says, Husbands, you need to love your wives as Christ Jesus loved the church. And Paul right now says, check this out, even though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So if a husband is to submit to his wife, like Christ Jesus did, what is he supposed to do? To the point of dying for her, right? I wish we, we, just, we could just talk more about this, but we, meet, we must keep going. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then we get to this next part. And this next part is really, we, we overlook it sometimes. Verse 12. Here's what it says. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining <clears throat> and arguing <clears throat> so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Check this out. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. You know, it's, it's very interesting how, how Paul is ending this part of this letter. It's, it's, he's saying, you know, Paul is closing this part. He's saying, I hope that when Jesus comes, I have the assurance that I haven't run in vain and that my work hasn't been useless. You, you ever... You ever Felt like that? You know, it's, it's sad to think that, that you found something when you really found nothing. You ever been there? When, when you think you found something, when you think you accomplished something, but in reality, you accomplished nothing. And it's frustrating, right? It's frustrating to, to, to think that you committed your life to this person, and, and they were unfaithful to you, and now... You know, they were not who you expected them to be. Marriage was not what you expect, expected it to be. Or, or you went and found the job and you thought, oh man, once I find this job, I really am going to uh, accomplish everything I want to do, right? But in reality, you, you, get, you get to work every day and you're stressed and you just don't want to be there. You just want to go home, find, find a different job, right? Just seeking, seeking for something to give you fulfillment. 
you, you buy a motorcycle, right? And then you realize it's too small, so you go for a bigger one, right? And, and then it keeps on going. And you keep trying to find fulfillment in things. You go to school for a major that you really thought you liked, and then you realize that, well, that's not exactly for me. I have a friend who, uh, he was a foot doctor for a long time. And it came to a point where he realized that he didn't want to clip ingrown toenails for the rest of his life. So, so, so he closed his practice, he sold his car, he sold his house, went back to school, and today he's a graphic designer. That, that, like, that's a complete change, right? Like, you get to a point in life where, where you're just frustrated that you're not accomplishing what you thought you would. And it's sad. It's sad because we find it in the Christian and the spiritual life, too. It's, our, our Christian life is full of these frustrations. Um, but I want to tell you that only God can open your eyes so you won't be frustrated. Um, the spiritual life, you know, there's some things sometimes, and Jesus said these things, that there's going to be a day when he comes back, and people are going to be like, well, I knew you. I preached about you. And Jesus is going to say, well, I don't know you. Sorry, dude. That's going to be a Saturday. It's going to be a Saturday when, when, because you're going to get there to that moment when Jesus is coming back and you realize that maybe you did walk the way you thought you were supposed to walk. You did everything you thought you were supposed to do. And at that moment, you find yourself lost. And you know, that's what Paul is saying. He doesn't want to have run in vain. Sometimes, I'm, I'm originally from Chicago. My parents live in Chicago, and Chicago is a huge city, and I love Chicago. There's, there's OK. She's from Chicago. And you know, sometimes in Chicago, I don't know if this happens here in Washington, because you know, this is a promised land, right? Um, back in Chicago, uh, we, I've seen people, I've seen church members that are very sincere, very beautiful people, you know, spiritual, that, that they just want to be in heaven. And because they are sincere, they, they seek for things, right? So for example, let me give you an example real quick so that I can explain this thought and idea that I have. Um, they think that if, that if they play the drums in the church, they won't go to heaven. But this is in Chicago only, okay? This doesn't happen here, like I said. Um, some, some others think that if they pray standing up, they will offend God. Um, some others think that, you know, I'm not going to celebrate my birthday because birthdays have pagan origins, or I won't set up a Christmas tree because it's a sin. And, and, and they are, like I said, they are sincere people who are seeking God. And in their seeking... Eventually, they, they seek, this is a little tricky, they seek for things to avoid so that they can avoid sinning. You see what I'm saying? So, so you're seeking something to avoid it so that you don't have to sin. And so they go about life trying to find these things, and, and it's like literally walking on eggshells, right? You're trying to get from point A to point B, and you're walking, and you're trying to like step on the eggshells that you 
think are less important maybe. And you keep walking and you keep walking. And then once you reach the other side, you turn around and you realize that you broke all the eggshells. Right? And so it's, it's hard. It's hard to think that the Christian life should be that way, but it's not. The Christian life should be a beautiful, simple relationship with Christ. You know, you're not supposed to be afraid of God. You're supposed to, 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 to be attractive to him. To, to, you, should be, you should be happy to serve him. Um, you shouldn't be afraid of being lost or that if you're not doing something that's right, he'll be mad at you. That God is just not real. Um, he's not just up there, right? You guys know this? Making a list and checking it twice and trying to find out who's what? Naughty or nice, right? That's, that's, not God. that's not what God is doing. He's not just standing there with a yardstick. You guys ever had a teacher with yardsticks and they whacked you? Some of you guys may remember that. Some of us are privileged enough to not have gone through that. But he's not just there waiting with the yardstick for you to mess up and then whack you with the yardstick. And usually that yardstick, this proverbial yardstick, comes in the, in the form of sickness, in the, in, the, in the form of unemployment, family troubles, financial troubles, marital troubles. And so, so you crash your car and you're like, ah, oh, what, what did I do that God is upset with me? Or your son gets sick and you're like, what did I do this time? Or, 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 or you get sick or you're unemployed and you're like, God is punishing me for something that I did. And we have completely disfigured God's character when we think that way. Because the Bible says that God is love. The Bible doesn't say that God has love, right? I, I have a Bible. I have a phone, right? God doesn't just have love. He is love. And this is going to be difficult at first to understand, but like if you, if, 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 if you can't, if you can't, you, you, you can't separate God and, and love. God is love. So for example, let's say, um, let's say the bass, right? The bass without the strings it's not necessarily a base, it's just a frame for a base. Um, my shoes, right, what are they made out of? Faux leather, right, maybe? Um, it, that's, just, that's just what they are. Now, if God was made out of, you know, if I asked you, what is God made out of? What would you say? Well, nothing, right, because God is not made. But thinking, you know, yeah, you, you were right, though. Like, God is love. And, and you can't just separate God from love. He loves you. So I want you today to think that if you are sick, if you're broke, if things are falling apart in your life, it's not because God doesn't love you. That's not it at all. There's, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Just like there's nothing you can do or stop doing for him to love you less or stop loving you at all. Because if God was to, to stop loving you, he would stop being God. God's love is not meritorious. So I don't know if you guys remember like a little bit over a month ago that thunderstorm that we had. It was, it was sick, right? <laughs> so I remember that day, um, one of the kids at work the next day came to school and he told me that his brother had told him that 
Jesus was mad at him for something he did, and that that's why it was thundering. You know, like, and, and, and it's crazy, though, to, to think that because we grew up thinking like that. We, we grew up, you know, at some point somebody told us something like that, and we just never get rid of it. And, and we grew up thinking that when, when something bad happens, it's because, because God has stopped loving us. That's not it at all. The day God stops loving you is the day he stops being God. Because God's love is eternal. And if he's eternal, you know, it's never going to end. Now, with that being said, some might say, so then why should I worry, Fernando? Like, God loves me, right? I'm saved. I want to make a distinction here of what I'm saying. One thing is God's love. Another thing is salvation. Just because God loves you doesn't mean that you're saved. Salvation is when you take that love, when you accept it, and you let it transform you. And, and, and we keep thinking, you know, well, if, if God loves me, then why am I still suffering? We were talking about this a little bit in Sabbath school this morning. Why is this happening? Why, why is my mom sick? Why is my dog dying? Here's the thing. When, when you are in pain, you start doubting God. And, and that's where the benefit of the gospel comes in, you know, um, it's not that he's just going to show up with a cure for your cancer. It's not, it's not like he's just going to give you a magical pill so that all your troubles go away, right? That's not, that's not how God works. But I, I want you to, to have it clear, though, that God is powerful, and if he wanted to, he would do that, right? If he, let's say that you came in here today with a you know, $100,000 debt. If, if God really wanted to, a crow could show up at, at, at your house tonight with $100,000 on its beak, right? Because that's the kind of crazy things that God does in the Bible, right? You, you see Elijah, um, one day he's, he's, there's no food, he's hungry, and he's, he's about to die, you know, he's, he's really hungry, and all of a sudden a crow shows up with a big, beautiful piece of organic, gluten-free, non-GMO, you know, slice of bread, and then another crow shows up with a, with a fried chick, right? And, and, and that's, that's the things that God does. If You know, if, if you think about, like, Daniel, he, he's thrown in, in the lion's den, and, and these lions are supposed to eat him, but instead, he's playing with them. Because that, those are the kind of things that God does. Like I said, if, if he really wanted to, he could do that. Now you may ask, then, why won't he heal me of this? Why won't he take this cancer away? Why won't he take this financial struggle away? Well, God wants to heal you. But he wants to heal you from something else. Because the cancer is the least of your worries. Your financial struggles is the least of your worries. What he wants to heal you of is your unbelief. Because one of our biggest problems are, as human beings is when we start losing faith. He wants you to believe in him, to trust him, to trust that he loves you. And now when you do that, the first thing you're going to hear from his, from his mouth is, this, is the next thing, you know? My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. But not as the world gives peace. Who said that? Jesus, right? Right? 
Jesus promised that he would give us peace, but not as the world gives peace. How does the world give peace? Right? Everything's well, you're healthy, your family's healthy, you have a good job, there's plenty of food on the table, plenty of food on the pantry, you have some money in the bank, you have some money in your wonk, right? No, I got that. Only one person got that. <laughs> but that's not the kind of peace that Jesus promises. Jesus' peace is different. Jesus says that in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the trials, difficulties, in the middle of the crisis, he can give you peace. That, that the storm won't scare you. That the seas won't scare you. That, cri- that crisis is not going to scare you. And, that, and that's what God does with your life. When I was in high school, um, about 60 pounds ago, um, I was a swimmer. <laughs> I was a swimmer, right? And, and in Chicago, they had this really cool program called After School Matters where they came and, and they brought some lifeguards to teach us or, or to train us to become lifeguards for the summer. And so we got paid for showing up to practice. Um, all we had to do was take the CPR training and the you know, first aid, all that stuff. And so in, in lifeguard school, I guess, um, one of the biggest lessons I ever learned was that you can't panic. When you're in the water, you just can't panic because the minute you panic, that's the minute that you're going to drown. Because if you panic, you realize that you can reach the bottom, but you can't come on top. You start swinging your arms all around and trying to kick, and you start getting cramps, and then you start swallowing and gasping for air and swallowing water, and that's, that's it for you. And as a lifeguard, you can't, you can't panic either because you need to remain calm, assess the situation, and then come in and try to save this person, right? It's very similar in the Christian life because you're going to see the difference between someone who suffers with Jesus and someone who suffers without him. If, if, if you don't have Jesus, you're not going to have peace. You're going to freak out. You're going to panic. Let's say that you're broke, right? You've lost everything. You have no money. You're going to freak out and you're going to start thinking, well, uh, what should I do? I don't have anything. This life is not worth it. Let me just kill myself. Or maybe I should go rob that bank or that liquor store and all my troubles will be away or, or I'll start dealing drugs and I'll get more money and I'll be able to pay off my debts or I'll be, you know, I'll just, I'll just go into addiction. I'll just start drinking. I'll just start doing drugs. That's what happens when you panic. But the one who suffers with Jesus doesn't panic because he has that peace that no one can understand. The minute you start struggling, you, you, you reach out to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I surrender, you know, just help me. And I promise you that a divine solution is on its way. A divine solution will be on its way the minute you do that. So no matter what problem you brought with you here today, there's a solution for you. Now, I want to go to the essence of this passage, right? In uh, Philippians 2.12, the church at Philippi had a problem. He says, Paul says, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important 
that you do so, right? And, and it's, you know, these guys had a problem that we all have. You know, when, when, they, when they were in public, when, when Paul was there, they were all good, right? They, they all did what they were supposed to do. They were all happy. They all said, happy Sabbath in the morning. But then when they went home, when they were in their private lives, they were completely different people. And so Paul says, you know, it, it's important that you, that, that you listen to what I'm telling you. And, and he says, uh, work hard to show the, the, the results of your salvation. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But, you know, when nobody's watching you, what are you doing? Who are you when nobody's watching you? Who are you when you're not sitting here, when you're not worshiping here? And it's, so, so I work with kids, and you guys know this, right? And, and when we are children, we're all authentic, right? Can you guys all agree with that? Yeah? Children are authentic. But, you know, they're authentic also in a bad way. Because they are selfish. You know, kids are selfish. And, and, and that's the way they're born. We were all the same way. If, if you want to try it out, sit five kids at a table and put six cookies on the table. Or put five slices of cake, six slices of cake on the table. Right? The kids are going to sit there. And I see it every day when I serve them snack at work, you know. Um, they all sit there and they're just looking and then they go trying to eat as fast as they can so they can get that last one, right? Because they're selfish. That, that, that's how they are. But as, as adults, if we do the same thing, right, we're just going to sit there and eat awkwardly, finish it up, and then just stare at that last piece of cake, that last slice of pizza, thinking, oh, I really want it, but I shouldn't because... Uh, I should wait, and it's selfish, and I was taught that I don't need to be selfish. So we get really good at hiding our selfishness, right? Come on, you guys all have been there, right? I know you guys have. That, that awkward moment where this the last slice of pizza, and you just can't take it. And it's in our nature to be selfish. We, um, we're all like that. But just because we're all like that, it doesn't mean that it's okay. And, and like I said, this is, this is where the gospel comes in. Because the gospel transforms your life. And you authentically give up your selfishness. And you care for others more than yourself. And Paul says, while I'm away, work hard to show your salvation. Now, this is, this is kind of a hard verse because there's two groups really in church in general who debate this on the one side we have the group that says that yes you need to work and 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 do all these works so that you know you can show your faith and and you need to stop doing this and stop doing that right but on the other side on the really far spectrum side of the spectrum we have a group that says oh you don't have to do anything because you know you're saved already right? And we think, well, what should I do? Should I do this or should I do that? But Paul tells us the secret to it. In verse 16, what does he say in verse 16? He says, hold firmly to Jesus, right? Hold firmly, my version says, hold firmly to the word of life. You need to hold firmly to Jesus, 
Because when you don't hold on to him tight, when you separate yourself from him, that's when you fall. Right? It's not, it's not that... It, when, when you don't hold tight, you become separated from him, and that's when you fall, and that's when your nature comes in, when your efforts come in, right? You start saying, oh, well, I have so much self-control, I can do this. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, if you're an addict, you're going to be like, oh, I can do this. I can stop drinking whenever I want. I can stop smoking whenever I want. I can stop looking at porn whenever I want. I can stop beating my wife whenever I want. I can stop yelling at my kids whenever I want. I have so much self-control. And let's say that, that yeah, let's say that you do have that self-control and that you're able to overcome it. It's worthless, though, because it's your own victory. And, and, and if you're a Christian, you know that Isaiah 64, 6, 64, 6 says that any good deeds our own deeds, our, 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 our own righteous deeds are nothing but what? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. Now you may ask the question, is there room for efforts in the Christian life then? Yes, no, maybe. Well, yeah, yeah. But you can't, it, it's not here, like we said, because it, here you are without Christ. But here, with Christ, that's where the effort is at. And I'm going to explain this in a practical way in a little bit. Because Paul mentions in the, Old, in the New Testament, sorry, um, being in Christ about over 200 times. And being in Christ is important, right? So, so check this out, okay? This is a male problem, right? But we're not there yet. <laughs> this is a male problem. Um, and I'm going to try to explain it as best as I can uh, so the ladies can understand it. Um, because ladies have a female mind, right? And they think that, they think like ladies, and praise God for that, right? Um, but us men, we, we think as men, but praise God for that too, right? And so um, because we think differently, we get into trouble sometimes. Uh, and, and let me tell you something. I'm not married, but if you are, don't try to understand the way your wife thinks because you're going to get in a lot of trouble. Um, I, don't, I don't care how long you've been married for. You still haven't gotten to the point where you fully understand her. Last time I said this at a church, somebody came up to me at the end, and they were like, well, I read this book, and now I fully understand my wife. I'm like, eh, you should go talk to her first. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, how, how can you understand uh, uh, your wife with a male brain, right? I, I personally think that women were not made for understanding, but for loving. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah. But with that being said, for, for the ladies, there are just a few tiny details, right, that just mean a lot, right? If, if you say, bring her flowers, right, really? If you bring her flowers, what's going to happen? Oh, she's going to cry. She's going to think, oh, man, he really loves me. He's so sweet. This is why I love you, right? But if you bring a flower to Jesse, what does that mean to you? 
that's why we don't have flowers today for parents, for dads today, right? Because, you know, it doesn't mean anything for us. For, for a man, you know, you bring him a thousand bucks and he gets excited, right? Bring him a cool car, bike, for me. And, and, and then there's, there's other things, right? Like, like, for example, do you remember the first time uh, you guys said I love you to each other? Right? Yes, you do. I don't know if Daryl does. <laughs> you know, if she says, I love you, it's almost, it's almost dumb to us men, right? Like, we don't want to say it back. We're like, well, I kind of love hanging out with you too, right? You been there? And, and, but the minute that you tell her that you love her, man, she's going to go crazy. Let me demonstrate. I love you. <laughs> Boom, there it is. See? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, so we have two different mentalities, right? And so with that huge tangent, us men have a problem that women don't have. And, and it's, it's a horrible problem, you know, because when a man sees a woman and, and he's just staring at her and watching her, you know, you see her, you see her walking and you just can't take your eyes away from her, it's, it's bad, you know, and the Bible says that when a man lusts after a woman, he's sinning, right? And no woman will ever do that. No woman will ever look at a man and be like, oh, man, he's so cute, <laughs> right? Like I said, it, it's, a, it's a man problem, and that's every man's problem. I don't want you to say that. No, it's not because it's in your nature. Maybe when we get to heaven, it'll be gone. For sure, it'll be gone. And because your problem is looking at women, there's a really thin line between looking at women and jumping into looking at pornography. It'll just take a, a really small click, right? And, and then you're going to struggle with porn, you're going to struggle with addiction, and you're going to realize one day that you don't want to do this anymore. So then you come to God and you promise him, God, I don't want to do this anymore. This is horrible. Take this away from me. And you're going to promise to him that you're not going to do it anymore. So, so you kind of stop because you, you, God changes you, right? But then one day you're either at school or you're walking on the street and, and you see this pretty lady, right? And she's walking towards you. And to make things worse, she's dressed a little provocatively, right? And you start thinking, man, I... I, I can't look because I promised to God that I wouldn't do this. So you start walking towards her and you start, you start thinking, well, uh, in my support group, they say that it takes uh, three minutes to overcome temptation. So you start your stopwatch. You know, you start walking and you're thinking, oh, three minutes. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. I don't want to look. I'm not going to look. Oh, well, you know, I heard, I heard in the sermon that, you know, to overcome temptation, I need to count to 100. And so you start counting 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, you know. And you get to 100. You get to the door of wherever you are, the bank. And then you think, okay, she's gone. I can look now. And you turn around and you see her. And that's all it took. You fell. You lusted. And you go into this depression saying, why, God, why can't I do this? Why can't, why can't I overcome this? That's because that was under your own effort. But like I said, with, with someone who's, who's suffering, who's, who's trying under, you know, God being in Christ, it'll be different because your effort won't be to not look. 
the effort is to not is not to not look. That's a double negative there. I don't know if you get it. Your effort is not to stop looking. Your effort is simply to hold on firmly to Jesus Christ. Because instead of saying, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look, you know, start, start the timer. If, if you instead see, see this lady, right, and you start walking towards her, and you're like, okay, God, you know how I suffer. Jesus, you know how I struggle with this. Please help me. Jesus, I've been struggling with this for years. Take it away. Instead of, of trying not to look, your effort was to stay connected, to hold on firmly, and that's where it counts. And you know, you didn't, lo you didn't lose that connection. And next thing you know, it's, it's past you, and you're like, okay, what just happened? I overcame. You don't even realize it because you conquered this thing that you were struggling with. And it's not your victory. It's, it's Jesus' victory because he lived in you and he conquered in you. And you know, this applies to everything we do in life. If our effort is to, to, to stay connected to Jesus, so if we want an alive, vibrant church, our efforts should be to stay connected to Jesus. If we want a family, a marriage that is alive and vibrant with Jesus, you need to stay connected to Jesus. You know, there's nothing in your life that cannot be transformed. There's nothing in your life that can't be transformed. You know, I, there's, there's, I know that there's something in you today that is just making you unhappy because you've been, you've been seeking for fulfillment in things of the earth, or in material things, whether a relationship, a job. You've been seeking, you know, fulfillment in all these things, but today I want you to, to seek fulfillment in Jesus, to just surrender that, give that up, and just hold on firmly to Jesus. We're going to sing this last song. And as we sing it, I want you to, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus today. Just where you are, if, if, if you feel that for some reason you've, you've, you've been trying too hard and you realize that you can't do it and, and, and you realize that you need to surrender to Jesus, this is your day. This is the day where you just surrender and just give it up to him. Connect yourself to God because God, because Jesus is our only way out. May God bless us. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we surrender to you today as a church, as families, as individuals. And God, we just never want to let go of you. We just want to hold on tightly to you. Because we know, we know what happens when, when we don't. And so God, just help us to understand that we're better off with you. Help us to remember what it was like before without you and that we may be able to see that you have enriched our lives beyond our imagination. Thank you because you promised us this. And I pray that, that 
you may bless this church as we move on forward trying to serve like Jesus, trying to love like Jesus, trying to accept like Jesus. Be with everyone here today as they go home and as they do whatever it is that they do on the Sabbath. Bless us, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.